Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with John Boone. John works as a consultant with the Humane Society International the Humane Society of the United States, and several other national and international welfare organizations specializing in program metrics, statistical analysis, and population biology. In this capacity, he has contributed to several dozen programs around the world designed to improve the humane management of free-roaming dogs and cats. John got his start in animal welfare by volunteering at the SPCA of Northern Nevada in 2000. He joined that organization's board of directors in 2001 and served as board chair from 2002 to 2008, and again beginning in 2017. In addition, he is currently board vice president for the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs, an organization that promotes and facilitates the development of non-surgical approaches to dog and cat sterilization. Over the years, he has adopted 17 special needs shelter dogs and cats, fostered several hundred puppies, kittens, and mothers, and helped bring Maddie's Fund support to Nevada. In addition to his animal welfare work, John is a wildlife biologist with the Great Basin Bird Observatory in Reno, where he and his colleagues conduct applied research monitoring and conservation planning projects in Nevada and throughout much of the Western United States. John received his bachelor's degree from George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and his Ph.D. in ecology and biology from the University of Colorado, Boulder. Welcome to the show, John. I was wondering if you could tell us how you got started. Well, it seems kind of unlikely in retrospect because my professional track was and still is that of a a wildlife biologist, but I'd always been interested in, in in dogs and cats and been very sympathetic to them. And of course, I'd been involved in my local SPCA for some time. So when Maddie's Fund started to become involved in Nevada a number of years back, that led me to having contacts with some folks from the Alliance for Contraception and Cats and Dogs who I've also been involved with for a long time. And through that organization, I became exposed to a number of people from Humane Society International and other organizations that that were pursuing humane management programs for roaming dogs around the world. And it just so happened that the, that the techniques and the skills that one learns as a wildlife biologist have a specific and constructive application potentially for these roaming dog management projects. So I, I started to, to help HSI with some of their work around the world and then through them got exposed more and more to people in various organizations working with outdoor cats. So honestly, one thing just led to another. It was it was never a master plan, but um, it has brought together my interest in biology and my interest in animal welfare in a very a very interesting and satisfying way. So you first started out with the birds, and then you got involved with the free roaming dog management, which then moved to cats. 
Is that sort of how the process has been? Uh, yeah. Actually, when I was in graduate school for, for biology, I worked primarily on mammals, but eventually I started to work for the Great Basin Bird Observatory here in Reno, and we focus on the conservation of different kinds of birds around this region. So, yes, I was at the Bird Observatory and well into to bird conservation before I started working on the roaming dog and then the roaming cat projects. And then when my understanding of the sort of free roaming dog issues around the world is more focused on rabies vaccinations, or does it also include sterilization programs? In many areas, rabies public health concerns are the driving force, but but definitely not everywhere. And there are places internationally that um, have taken significant strides towards implementing intensive sterilization programs for roaming dogs, particularly some parts of India come to mind as, as standouts in that regard. That said, it's still a huge issue and, and the groups are only beginning to scratch the surface of what can be done, but there are some very good examples of intensive sterilization efforts for roaming dogs and 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 certain locations around the world. It's very interesting. You know, I mean, some of our listeners are, are you know, new to trapping community cats, new to trap, new to return. You know, they're just trying to figure out, you know, how to handle the 10 cats that are in their neighborhood and, and that kind of thing. And, and I love statistics. I really get wrapped up in statistics and, and I enjoy it. And I, I enjoy the concept of modeling. My background was in urban planning. So one would think, you know, you're trying to sort of understand if you do this, then you will do that. Is some of that thought process necessary for us who are sort of the boots on the ground, the grassroots organizations to think through like, if we do this, then this will happen. I mean, how can we apply sort of the, the big thinking stuff down to our everyday sort of grassroots TNR survival? It's an excellent question, and it's one of the big challenges. So I often say in talks that there are several different reasons why people might be interested in contributing to TNR programs. Obviously, one of the biggest ones is that people want to help as many individual cats as they can, and that's a great goal. And if that's your goal, just to help as many cats as you can, it probably isn't necessary to think about the big picture. Where it gets more complicated is when we consider the debate that exists about whether TNR is, a, is an effective way to manage populations of cats not to help individuals, but to manage large numbers of cats. And that, of course, is the center of the controversy that exists about what the best approach might be to address common goals in terms of slowly and humanely reducing the number of cats out on the landscape, both in the interest of the cat's welfare and in the interest of, of the, the wildlife that they may have potentially some impact on in some places. So if the goal of a TNR program is not only to help individual cats, but also to have a significant and a measurable effect on the number of cats that exist in some larger area, then that's where all of these tools and approaches become critically important. We learn these lessons in wildlife management all the time that what works at a population level is not always easily understandable based on simply being familiar with the individual animals and, and what they're like. So how we do that, how we integrate that perspective into TNR practice is the subject of a lot of thought and effort right now. And there's not a definitive answer, 
But there are several projects underway that are attempting to do just that and to identify sets of tools and guidelines and training materials that will help groups that have both of those goals the individual welfare goal plus the population level goal um, will help them to to pursue both of those effectively and efficiently. And I think the other thing that's important for us to think about too is even though we we might only be looking at that colony of cats in the backyard, but we are setting an example there for precedent for basically bias and opinion within the community. So if we are approaching you know, a colony in a certain way, we have to be careful because we realize that that people are going to think about TNR as being the way that we're practicing it. So if we come in there and we only spay, neuter, you know, three out of the 10 cats and say that's a model TNR program, then the people in that neighborhood are going to sort of absorb that bias. And that's not necessarily the way other TNR programs operate. That's correct. And going back to the to the debates that are now going on about TNR, uh, when there are those examples out there of people who are trying to help individual cats but not necessarily doing well-targeted TNR, that makes it very easy for critics to point to those examples and say, see, this this is not effective population management. So you're absolutely right in terms of setting a sort of a precedent for broader practice. Um, it's helpful to have an awareness of, of the population issues in addition to the individual welfare issues. We're proud to be an affiliate of Space Kitty Express, makers of handmade refillable catnip alternative cat toys. Think Valerian, Silver Vine, Honeysuckle, etc., for the discerning cat who wants to try something new or doesn't respond to catnip. You can even get 10% off your purchase at Space Kitty Express by using the code COMMUNITYCATS at checkout. Help your kitty blast off today with some new toys from www.spacekittyexpress.com. Did you miss the 2018 online cat conference that we held in January? Or would you like to share some of the conference webinars with friends? You can now purchase the presentations and share them with colleagues and friends. Just visit our recordings page, which is under the resources tab, to access webinars from some of the leading personalities in feline welfare today. They're sure to give you and your cat-loving friends great ideas on ways to help even more cats. Check it out at www.communitycatspodcast.com. So you were talking about a uh, program that you've just started in the D.C. area, in Washington, D.C. You want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, this is a very ambitious project that we call the D.C. Cat Count. And uh, as of the airing of this podcast, it will be underway. Our launch date is 1 July, approximately. This program is very unique in several respects. First, it's going to look at all of the cats in all of Washington, D.C. as one connected entity. The outdoor cats, whether they're owned or not, the indoor cats that are pets, and the shelter cats. We're going to look at all of those components and measure those numbers as effectively as we can and see how those different segments of the population flow into one another and interact with one another. So we'll get a very holistic sense of what's going on with cats in a large urban area. Another 
unique thing about this project is the array of different collaborators that are involved. The lead humane organization is the Humane Rescue Alliance, which is DC's only large animal sheltering and animal welfare organization, the Humane Society of the U.S., and then there are a number of science collaborators from University of uh, Maryland, from Smithsonian, from my organization, Great Basin Bird Observatory. So there are an unusual array of collaborators that typically don't work together. So we hope that that sets a precedent for constructive engagement. And then what's unique is the goals of the project. On the one hand, the goals are very science-y sounding. In other words, measure how many cats there are and, and how their numbers change over time. But at the other end of the spectrum, really the predominant goal of this project is to develop those tools that I talked about earlier and guidelines and protocols and training materials that any number of animal welfare groups could use relatively easily to measure their own cat populations and to apply the insights that those measurements give them to their TNR programs at particularly at larger scales. So it's meant to be a very inclusive approach to creating a new paradigm and how TNR can be done for those who are interested in approaching it at this population perspective, while still protecting the underlying welfare goals that are the driving force in most TNR programs. So this is envisioned to be a three-year program, and I, I hope that uh, most of the people listening to this podcast will be hearing a lot about it as time goes by. And I will provide you with some contact information for that program at the end of the project. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. An ultimate goal is to find out, like, are we, like, when are we done with our work on, with community cats? That's always been a big question. It's a, it's a big question in New England. There are always community cats, seems like, that, that need assistance, but our shelters now have you know, many fewer cats, fewer kittens. We're transporting up from other parts of the country. People are amazed by that. But I guess the questions are now, is there going to come a point with community cats that we've done what we do? We check it off the list. Will we ever check it off the list? Or how do we think our communities are at a maintenance point? What is maintenance? What does that mean? Are these questions that this project may be able to answer for us? It will provide a lot of tools and insights for how one approaches those questions. The answer to that question may be different in different areas. And it all goes back to how the goals for a given area are set, which is critical. Oftentimes, people engaged in TNR programs have a personal sense of what their goals are, but they may not be articulated in terms of numbers. So that makes it sometimes difficult for a variety of stakeholders to agree on when a goal has been reached or not. Beyond that, as long as there are outdoor cats on the landscape and not all of them are spayed and neutered and people are still abandoning some cats, the system will never just be fixed to a point where we can start to ignore it. It always is going to require some effort and intervention. That said, an effective TNR program can apply a lot of effort at the beginning make the situation much better, and then it's far easier to maintain the outdoor cats in that new status quo, which is more desirable than it was before. Uh, also, I think important to note that the ultimate, the best solution to these issues is going to be significant changes in how people care for their cats and 
once we achieve those fundamental changes, perhaps over a generation or however long it takes, the forces that are driving outdoor cat populations will be more self-regulated than they are right now. Currently, we deal with the fact that people abandon pet cats when they move or when they get tired of caring for them. And those things sort of keep turning the system forward. So it's not something in the near term we'll ever be able to check off our list, but it's something that we can make significant progress on in the shorter term and work toward a day when human behaviors have changed sufficiently that uh, we have a much easier road to hoe in terms of maximizing welfare. Yeah, there was a point in time where I believe we used to think of sheltering as being a, a reactive response to cats and trap new to return was being more proactive but I think now with the development of pet retention programs, a lot more resources going into the owned cat community that TNR is almost being thought of as a reactive response. And we may be seeing more resources going into pet retention and support from that standpoint. Do you feel the same way? There's no doubt. I, I think back to when I was young and neighborhood dogs ran around the neighborhood. They were rarely, they were rarely sterilized. They had puppies that drove the, the large number of dogs that were euthanized in shelters, of course. And somehow, by the time I reached the age that I am now, that situation had changed significantly, largely as a result of just a shift in people's perception about what constituted acceptable dog stewardship and ownership and care. So if we achieve something similar with regard to cats in the in the coming years, that will do more to alleviate the fact that we have lots of cats living outside on the landscape in some areas than any feasible amount of laborious trapping and neutering. So yeah, the in one sense, um, trapping and sterilizing is a, is a bit of a stopgap measure, whereas the true systemic solution is something different that has a lot to do with people and their behavior. But that said, there's a lot of potential to make TNR as effective as it can be given the amount of effort that is applied or that is available, the resources that are available. So that's the that's the hope to, to help groups um, apply that effort in the most advantageous ways that they can and do the most good. But yes, I agree. The longer term solution is different. The one thing that I am a little concerned about or I think about in the differences between the wildlife modeling that goes on out there, and I am certainly not a scientist and, and I, I don't know the, the real deep levels around this, but there's less involvement with regards to wildlife than there are with cats and dogs in terms of the breeding of cats and dogs. So I do worry a bit about you know, as we get our populations down with community cats, with cats in our shelters, I, I worry that there may be some breeding going on that's not really that great within the community. So, sort of, you know, strange behaviors in order to, you know, have more online cats and kittens available from that standpoint. Those are factors that I think we have to think about with, with cat, with modeling these communities versus with wildlife, I don't think we would have as much of that kind of an impact. Certainly wouldn't have that specific mechanism, but different wildlife species are can be extraordinarily different in, in their reproductive rates or in the factors that affect their survival. So it's, it's a normal situation in wildlife management to have to 
adjust your formulas and your strategies to the peculiarities of a given species. And so cats in that regard, that's just a peculiarity, if you will, of cats and the cat human system that may not exist in other species. But the the basics of a wildlife management formula that are effective can accommodate all sorts of particulars like that. So it doesn't invalidate the approach. It just it just reinforces the notion that you do have to understand the species you're dealing with and have some of that deep knowledge in order to apply those tools effectively and intelligently. One question that I get asked often whenever I'm speaking with members from Community Board of Health, and you think this has nothing to do with cats, but it really does because if you are out there in the community, you're dealing with rats. And I hear about rats all the time and rat overpopulation. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on the on this issue? Yes. My main thought is that it is almost always problematic to assume that there's just one reality in terms of how important, say, cats are in controlling rats or how important they are as an agent of mortality for birds. The, the reality is that these systems, these let's just call them these food web systems where you have one kind of animal that eats another kind and then that gets eaten by something else. They're complicated and they don't look the same way from place to place. So in some places you could just remove a bunch of cats and you would have a rat explosion. In other places, there are other factors that keep the rats in check. So although it's tempting to just draw a single conclusion about cats being important in controlling rodents or whether or not cats eat a lot of birds or don't. The truth is that the answer to those questions varies a lot from place to place. And it's a lot more important to develop mechanisms that allow the actual local situation to be understood than it is to try and apply some sort of standardized assumptions. So uh, that is my main take-home lesson, that we, we can't just make blanket statements about cats and birds or cats and rats and have them be true everywhere. And, it, and it's, it's misleading and potentially dangerous to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, the systems are very sensitive. And, and, you know, we can't just depend on one factor, as you say. It's a, it's a group of different factors that are impacting the whole balance in the community. And, and I would say probably we're not ever truly in balance because it's always constantly changing. That's quite true. It's a, the, what's called the balance of nature is really a lot more tension-filled than that term would, would imply. Um, that said, some systems are more stable than others. But Yes, it's it's not a perfect balance. There's always ebbs and flows, but they can be at least to some extent understood with the right approaches and factored into a reasonable management formula for a given area. So, John, if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing or if they have follow-up questions, how would they do that? My email address, which people are welcome to use, is boone, B-O-O-N-E, at gbbo.org. The GBBO stands for Great Basin Bird Observatory, the initials gbbo.org. And if they're interested in the DC CAT project, I'd be happy to forward them to the information source for that or to answer any questions they might have. John, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I'd just like everybody to stay tuned because this is a very, a very active time in 
considering how we can move TNR programs to the next stage. A lot's been accomplished. There's a lot of good thinking. There's a lot of good practice, but there are more and more tools being developed and made available. And finally, after a number of years where it wasn't the case, more and more stakeholders with different perspectives are starting to talk to one another and consider what their common goals might be and how they can help one another out. So I would just encourage people to keep their ears tuned for that kind of news over the coming year or two and to to stay engaged and open-minded about how some of that might be useful and of interest to them. That I, I agree with you so much, and I'm thrilled to hear that more people are willing to come into the room and, and discuss and share and work together. So I think that's fantastic news. John, I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and, and I hope we'll have you on in the future to update us on this project in D.C. Sure thing. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 